Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government announces aggressive moves in an attempt to stop the spread of the coronavirus. We will be denying entry to Canada to people who are not Canadian citizens or permanent residents. This measure will carve out some designated exceptions, including for air crews, diplomats, immediate family members of Canadian citizens, and at this time, U.S. citizens. While the U.S. border remains open for now, officials say they are constantly monitoring the situation. Canada and the United States have the longest unmilitarized border in the world, and that border, we all know, is absolutely vital to the daily life of people who live on both sides of that border. And the federal government's response earns praise from at least one premier. I have all the confidence in uh, Christia Freeland, uh, the job she's doing. I, I want to uh, give my confidence to the prime minister as well and, and wish uh, himself and, and Sophie, his wife, a, a speedy recovery. Uh, but uh, he, as far as I'm concerned, he's showing uh, good leadership as well. It's Tuesday, March 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Mark. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. It doesn't feel the like St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day we'll see in a while, I think. Yeah, probably. The, the least celebratory. Um, but I know there will be some people around my house wearing green, so... We've got that covered. Um, so let's talk about the government's response as it stands now, based on the news conference that Prime Minister Trudeau held outside his home yesterday as he continues to be in self-isolation. Uh, the major announcement, of course, is the fact that Canada is effectively closing its border to many countries, but not the United States. Uh, what do you make of that announcement? Yeah, there were, you know, there was um, surprise. Uh, first of all, I think everybody thought, you know, we, we are still seeing the escalation of measures to fight this virus. We are not seeing any flattening of the curve of reaction, if you want to put it that way. That day by day, the measures increase to stem this, which tells you that this is not under control. Um, of course, the questions came right after, why not Americans? You know, this is a huge gaping Mack truck-sized hole in in any measures to uh, to fight this. And what uh, the Prime Minister said is is also what you saw the Premier Doug Ford saying yesterday, um, that we are so economically integrated with the United States that to do that would cause chaos and pandemonium at the grocery stores where there already is pandemonium and right and panic that um we we cannot afford to uh to have uh to, to stop the cross flow of of people and goods uh between the united states and canada and that is uh that's just the stark reality of all of this i i don't think the prime minister was ruling it out but it, it did it was sort of the question of the day yesterday is, if we're getting really tough, why are we not getting tough on the Americans? 
Another question that has arisen is what to do about people who are returning to the country from abroad, Canadian citizens and residents, and the government is saying it will tell them to self-isolate for 14 days, but it won't be mandatory, meaning some people we know will choose not to do it. Uh, there are there are there's evidence of people on social media who are saying, "Oh, I don't need to do that. I'm fine." That sort of thing. So um, there, there is a debate over whether the government should be stricter with those people who are returning home. And the prime minister also said, if you're out there in another country, come home as soon as you can. Don't, don't stay any longer than you have to. Yeah, we've entered a new stage in all of this, and I think it, it's happened kind of gradually. You noticed it when the prime minister was speaking last week, too. This thing whatever we're in, is only going to work if Canadians police themselves and to some extent each other. We just don't have uh, the capacity, probably the temperament as a nation, to enforce something like martial law. And so Canadians are being asked to take a huge part of this on for themselves. And that means self-isolation. It means having the good sense um, to understand and appreciate why they could be a risk themselves. Not an easy task. Um, you see the, the government in all kinds of ways bringing this reality home to Canadians, but there there are going to be people who resist this. Um, I guess the hope is that social pressure, and, and we've seen this in um, experiments uh, in, in other normal, more normal times too, about how... Uh, on the environment, for example, how to get people to reduce their consumption. And it finds that that rather than the government telling them to do things, their neighbors telling them to do things or, or worried about looking bad in front of their neighbors is probably the most you know effective enforcement right. mechanism. So I think you're seeing a little bit of that social science going on right now in in the reaction to this. Someday, when this is all over, and, and that is another question, by the way, when when is this all going to be over? Uh, there's going to be a, a million experiments in what went right and what went wrong yeah. that may be applied to things like the environment and and other social hmm. and and public policy change that we want to do. That's a really right interesting point. Right now we're point. all a bunch of guinea pigs in, yeah. in a huge laboratory. Absolutely. And and it's rare that there is an event of this scale uh, that you can analyze after the fact. So I think you're right. It will become a test case. So um, there are a couple of other angles here that I I think are worth exploring. The the federal government uh, apparently may have more news today or tomorrow on what will happen to workers who are affected by this. And I think there are kind of two categories of employee who are affected. One are, are the people who have to self-isolate or people who actually have the virus or are showing symptoms uh, included in that group. The other are people who are affected because the business they work for is affected or the organization. Uh, in Ontario, right. for example, uh, there was encouragement from the provincial government for restaurants and bars to be closed. So presumably, those restaurants and bars that close are going to uh, lay off their employees. And what happens to them? Do they uh, Are there special benefits that will come into play here? We expect more from the government on that in the hours ahead, I guess. Yeah, and what what we're seeing here, not to get too wonky, is is the change macroeconomic measures to microeconomic measures. There's been some interesting stuff written about this over the the past few days too. Um, this is not like the 2008 09 
crisis where most of the measures went to help the big institutions and the big car companies, etc. But what we have here is examples of micro risk uh, at the individual level, and we all know them. We, we've been, I'm sure people, as much as they're getting out day to day, are talking to people who are saying, I can't afford to have my business go into isolation for a month. You know, many businesses, and we all know them around town, are um, are in really precarious position, and uh, many individuals are. So that's the interesting shift you're going to see this week, is that the government on a micro-individual level is going to have to start helping Canadians who are very, not just afraid of the virus, they're afraid of what's happened to their retirement savings, they're afraid of what's happened, uh, what's going to happen to their wages, their livelihood. It's um, a, a, a huge response is required yeah. from the government at an individual level. And at a broad level as well. Uh, is there? Are we hearing any more about economic stimulus, about help for businesses that have been affected by uh, the resulting shutdowns and economic downturn? Uh, it, will that be coming in the days ahead from the government? Yeah, as well? I, I think you're going to see that as well. You know, any measures at all to make sure that business that we aren't, you know, hit by a wave of um, bankruptcies, and you know, there are some businesses that are uh, and big businesses like the airlines uh, that are going to take a hit from this, and who knows about their recovery? I think right now the government's got to focus on on keeping people from, you know going bankrupt. There, there are measures, for example, you know, um, having people delay filing their income tax. That's uh, Bill Morneau talked about that last week, said that they were thinking about that, maybe processing people's refunds uh, who have filed or uh, sooner than uh, sooner than they're asking for people for money. But um, I, I think the whole idea is to inject some cash into the system right now not just to businesses, but that is a thing, but to um, to the people who work for those businesses. All right, we'll see what today brings. Susan, thank you so much <laughs> yes. for joining us today. Okay. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. This measure will carve out some designated exceptions, including for air crews, diplomats, immediate family members of Canadian citizens, and at this time, U.S. citizens. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues exempting Americans from the coronavirus travel ban makes little sense. The Star writes, Thanks in large part to the bumbling of the Trump administration, there's no reason to think that the United States will turn out to have any special resistance to the spread of COVID-19. If the trajectory of the virus continues on its past course, closing the border to all non-Canadians may well be declared necessary. In the meantime, the government has time to work with Washington to make sure a temporary ban doesn't cripple the cross-border trading relationship so vital to our economy. At globalnews.ca, Tasha Carradine argues, social distancing isn't an option, it's our duty to each other. Carradine writes, To those who haven't changed their habits, who aren't worried because they aren't in a risk group, I have a message for you. You may not live with your parents or grandparents, but every contact you make risks a chain of transmission that could ultimately contaminate them. And if you won't do it for others, do it for yourself. You might be young and healthy, but people of all ages can require medical care. If our ERs become overwhelmed, you won't get the care you need either. It's that simple. In the Globe and Mail, 
Colleen Flood and Brian Thomas consider Canada's lockdown powers. They write, On a plain reading of relevant legislation, Canadian governments appear to have broad emergency powers that could be employed to limit travel and contain the spread of coronavirus. But there are serious ethical and pragmatic concerns surrounding the use of these public health measures. There is also a danger that draconian measures would backfire by causing a breakdown in public trust, hindering monitoring efforts and driving the disease underground. In McLean's, Andrew McDougall calls for daily information on COVID-19 from the experts. McDougall writes, It's time to strip everything back to basics. This means experts, lots of experts. It means only the voices at the very top of the political spectrum. And when they answer, it must be with radical candor. A pandemic has to be a spin-free zone. If a reporter asks a tough question to which you don't have the answer, you don't retreat to praising the dear leader. You take it on the chin and pledge to do better. And when better is being done, you come back to the Canadian people and tell them about it. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With Parliament not sitting, Canadians' attention is going to be focused on announcements and updates from both Ottawa and provincial capitals across the country. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, obviously with Parliament in recess for the next five weeks, most Canadians' attention is on the coronavirus crisis and what their politicians have to say about it. Yesterday, the Prime Minister spoke to Canadians from his self-isolation at Rideau Cottage, and afterwards, a number of his ministers made announcements at the National Press Theatre. Now, those ministers are all members of his coronavirus crisis team, and they include Committee Chair, Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos, Transport Minister Marc Garneau, and, of course, Health Minister Patty Haidu. They have now all committed to holding updates every day for Canadians from Ottawa. And those updates will also include the latest vital information from the head of the Canadian Health Agency, Dr. Theresa Tam. And as we have seen now pretty well every day, we're getting updates from the provincial capitals as well, with all governments and the health authorities making day-by-day announcements on the latest measures required to counter COVID-19. So if you want to track and get the latest information from all of those announcements, CPAC will be bringing you them live during the day for the foreseeable future and then replaying them again every evening. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will conduct radio interviews and then will chair the Cabinet meeting. At 11.30 Eastern Time, the Prime Minister will address Canadians on the coronavirus situation from Rideau Cottage in Ottawa and will answer questions from the media. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, March the 17th. Our coverage of the coronavirus situation continues throughout the day on CPAC. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.